be picking up in, in Acts uh, chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Um, but, but, but first, I, I wanted to share something that's just going to kind of set the stage um, for tonight, and it's really going to be linked to an illustration that I have at the end. But, but the last time that I was on this stage, um, last time I was on the stage on a Wednesday night, is, it, it is burned into my memory. And I'll tell you why, because, because Kelly and I, I, I wasn't teaching that night, but, but Kelly and I were actually leading worship. We were leading worship, and it was, it was such a, a, like an intimate time with the Lord. It was one of those experiences, I, I don't know if you've had this experience in, in worship before, but, but, but literally, I was, I was almost forgetting words and, and forgetting, forgetting the chords, and, and I was brought to tears just by the presence of, of the Holy Spirit, and, and, and I don't know how to articulate that, but, but when I'm leading, sometimes it happens, and, 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 and I was excited for, for what the Lord had in store. I had talked to Rob about what he was, he was going to be teaching on, and that was the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, and, and he's, he's leading us, our, our captain is, is leading us in the direction of, of, of learning more about these spiritual giftings, that, that's what the Sunday PM service is about, just, just kind of this afterglow, waiting on the Lord, seeing what the Lord wants to do, but, 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 but doing it scripturally, right? Doing it by the book, so, so, so we don't give room for error, and there's always going to be error because there's a bunch of people involved, right? But we want to be good stewards of what the Lord has blessed us with. Um, but, but, but that Wednesday night, um, teaching was, was amazing and, and, and the Holy Spirit was just overwhelming, um, that night and there, there was a reason for that and the Lord was preparing our hearts because the last time that I was up here on stage on a Wednesday night was November 7th. And that's when, when all hell broke loose in this community, Right? For those of you guys that, that struggle with this idea of a spiritual reality, that, that we are spiritual beings, that we are living in a spiritual realm, that night an act of evil occurred. But it prepared the hearts and prepared specifically the hearts of our, our, our pastor for that night for what was going to happen. And this, this indwelling of the Holy Spirit is really what I want to get to tonight. And, and, and as we look at just kind of a glimpse of Acts, this isn't going to be continuing on next week, really, um, through our studies of Corinthians and, and, and Paul's letter to Corinth, um, is, is in the process of Acts is unfolding, right? But, but, but Acts wasn't written by Paul, it was written by Luke, by Dr. Luke. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit more later, but, um, I was inspired last week, and it was also something that, that, that I've forgotten about, um, not forgotten about, but it's almost like I, I get into this routine, I work on staff at our church now, this is my life, my life is here, and, and so it kind of becomes mundane, and I hate to say that, because that's totally in the flesh and, and my failings, but, but I let it get the best of me, and just kind of the day in, day out, I need to get things done, and this inspiration inspirational idea of, of not only pursuing the gifts, and we talked about tongues, and we talked about prophecy last week, but we also talked about this idea of ecclesia. We talked about this idea of ecclesia and, and the church, 
Not, not, not being these walls, not being a denomination, not being this place in which we meet, but rather we, in fact, are the ecclesia. We are the, 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 um, the assembly of the church. And this idea has, has been changed. Um, um, the definition has been changed um, during the, the, the King James Bible. Right, This idea of ecclesia, this idea of assembly had, had been repositioned and renamed church by King James so that he could in fact assume power over this church. And so this idea of ecclesia is, is, is mentioned over a hundred times in the New Testament. And this idea is that we are all ordained to be part, all ordained to take part in the ministry at hand. That we are all to go into the world and, and have this extension to be the physical and spiritual hands and feet of Jesus as we go into the places in which we're called as we, as, as we go into the, the realms in which the Lord has placed us in right and so tonight I want to look at Acts chapter 1 because it's this idea of church and I wanted to look at the first church and, and what they were doing and where they were going and, and, and what they were waiting on and how they, they operated. And, and it just so happens that we're actually teaching that in uh, the youth ministry right now. We're going through the book of Acts in kind of more of a Bible study setting. Um, but but just so happens that uh, we're going through Luke on Sundays and, and going through his second edition, which is Acts, right? is the second thing that he wrote, which is Acts, to a guy named Theophilus. A guy named Theophilus, right? So we'll get back into that, but, but, but first I want to start with the word. I didn't start with the word, but I want to get to the word now. I'm going to read the first 14 verses of Acts. I'm going to pray over it, and then we're going to get into it, all right? Picking up Acts, chapter 1, verse 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs by seeing by them during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things while they had watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount uh, called Olivet, which was near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room, where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the Zelah, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Let's pray. 
Gracious Father, um, thank you so much for um, this evening. It's not by accident that that any of us are here tonight, and I'm so grateful for um, just your meticulous hands in our lives. Thank you for for all the things that you have done, currently doing, and are going to do in in the future, Father, as we take a a brief glimpse um, at your, your your, your first church, your first assembly. Lord, I pray that you would minister to all of us, myself included, and that you would move my flesh out of the way and that your Holy Spirit would speak openly and freely. Thank you so much um, for the gift of your Holy Spirit, the gift of your grace, the gift of salvation, Lord. We love you and we praise you in all these things we pray. Amen. So, so, so Acts is, is, is a book that we're all pretty familiar with, right? For, for the most part, I mean... Uh, I would say a lot of us are pretty well versed in, 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 in this fact, and, and Acts is really the essential for the New Testament. It, it's kind of a pillar in the New Testament, right? Without the book of Acts, we would have no background on Paul and why he was writing to the followers of Jesus and other churches, specifically if we picked up in, in, in Romans, right? How, how the church moved from Jerusalem to Rome would be completely absent. So, so this book is vital, but it was written over... I think 30 years. And tonight I wanted to focus merely on the introduction of Acts, which really gives us a key to the entire book. And what's great is that um, this is considered to be the book of actions of the apostles, right? What, what they did, this, this idea of Acts that they were doing. But in reality, it's to continue on of Jesus operating through his disciples, through his people, after his physical ascension. It's, it's Jesus still acting. It's Jesus moving forward. And it's open-ended. I, I love that it's open-ended. The book itself ends very abruptly. As if almost to say it's, it's still unfolding. The rest of the pages are still to be written and, and, and to think we are the church now and whatever volume that we might be on, but, but, but what are we writing about? If we're a representation of the same church in which was written about during this time, what would we have to write about? Would it be of, of good things? Would it be of, of, of miraculous things? Or would it be of things of, of apathy? Would it be things of, of, of cultural dissonance and, and, and separation? I don't know. The story's still unfolding. That's the exciting part. We're involved in it right now. So in this introduction, remember this, this is written by Dr. Luke, this, this very educated man for this time, right? And he's very thorough in his research, and everything that, that he is putting together and formulating. But what really is revealed to us in the book of Acts is, is, is Jesus' essential strategy. His essential strategy in which he intends to change the world. He has already changed the world by, by coming, right? But he wants to continue changing the world for, for times and people to come. Right? It is an intention. He has this strategy in which he intends to change the world. A strategy which really holds this kind of revolutionary characteristic when the church, the assembly, is, is truly operating in the, which, in the way in which Jesus intended. It's, it's a revolutionary, right? It goes against culture. It goes against norms. It goes against expectations, right? But that's, but that's hard for us to understand because of, of the time in which we live and where we live. 
We live in this, this political experiment based on Judeo-Christian values, right? Where in a lot of ways, what, what I was jaded by, especially in my early 20s, was kind of this cultural Christianity, just kind of the rhythm of, of, of just normalcy and, and just getting by and, and looking for comfort, not really pursuing Jesus. And, and I kind of abstained from, from organized religion for a while. Because I, I just wanted to know the personhood of Jesus, right? And, and for some reason, I wasn't finding that at the churches in which I went to. For some reason, I, I just didn't feel the Holy Spirit there. And, and maybe that's my shortcomings, right? I wasn't in the word, but my expectation was to be fed every single time I walked into a church building. I had this expectation that, that all right, my bucket's empty. I'm going to fill it up. And then I'm going to go back home. And do the same thing next week, right? Instead of being consistently in my word, consistently devoted into expanding my relationship with the Father. I was young in my faith. And to be honest, it wasn't until college that my faith truly became my own. God doesn't have grandkids. That's something I tell the kids. God doesn't have grandkids, he has children. Your parents' faith cannot save you. It has to be a direct relationship between you and the Father. Direct relationship between you and the Father. So we see this strategy of Jesus. And um, I don't think they're back there. I had a slide prepared. I'm not sure if they have it prepared, but... um, this might be different for this church specifically because we're kind of more geared toward this political activism and being active in the seven mountains of cultural influence, right? But, but, but at least at some point in, in my life, I felt like the, the church has been culturally irrelevant or at least like second tier. Like it's not really the driving force in our culture right now, Right? It's, it's almost like the church is consistently like fighting on their heels and, and they're, they're, they're just putting out fires where the world is starting them. Ray Stedman said, we have bought the idea of many around that the church is quite irrelevant and not at all important segment of society. That view is absolutely False. The church is the most important body in the world today, far and away beyond every other body, because whatever happens in the world happens as a result of something that is or is not happening in the church. Let me read that again, just the the end of it, because whatever happens in the world happens as a result of something that is or is not happening in the church. You understand that the church, this assembly of believers, is the bride of the creator. Of course we're important. And of course, in our lack of action, bad things, evil things happen. But that's not necessarily directly a result of us not doing something. It's it's a result of the fall, the condition of the world is currently in. But we have the opportunity to have effect in society but oftentimes we don't want to get dirty. We want to stay here where it's comfortable, where it's easy. Fix my needs now. 
instead of, Father, how can you use me to fix others' needs? It's a pretty big statement, right? And, and, and really, there's this, a lot of responsibility that the church has to kind of shoulder in this, but, but we're not alone in that, right? We're not alone in that. But, but we've heard Rob continually give us the statistics about Calvary Chapel, specifically in California, and, and, and what is the result of them being apolitical in, in our society, in our culture. He threw down a pretty st- big statistic last week. Which, which was absolutely mind-blowing to me. Um, he said last week in California, or he told us last week, California alone, since Roe versus Wade, has aborted a many children as a population of Canada currently. That's huge. That's millions. Yet, yet, yet we have churches and we have buildings and we have seminaries and, and we have Bible colleges and, 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 and from the outside, from the facade, the church is very apparent in society. But their actual influence is kind of, it's kind of void of weight. Unfortunately, Rob has a, has a different plan in mind, which I I believe comes directly from the Lord, is that it's our responsibility to engage, to engage, to engage. We come here to get equipped. We go out there to engage society. We start making inroads. Every enemy is an opportunity, right? Right? pick up in verse 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given the commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. See, Dr. Luke was writing to a story named, uh, to a guy named Theophilus. Theophilus, which means um, lover of God. Awesome name. It's kind of weird in the way in which it sounds. There's a lot of jokes about Theophilus. Um, I won't tell you any of them tonight. I'll save you guys. But he's not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture except for right here in the beginning of Acts. <laughs> I, I, I tend to think about Theophilus in heaven saying, I made it! I got, it. I, I got into the Bible! Do you see me? My name's right there. <laughs> like, like, like he's there, right? But, but it's only from Luke and just his relationship and it's just this letter that, that, we, that we have now. But that's it. He, he holds no importance except for this idea of, of lover of God. I love that. It's not about him. It's not about, Paul. It's not about Luke. Right? It's about the story that's unfolding. In Luke's first statement here, he gives us a strategy by which the Lord works among mankind. In the first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. In the first book. What is he talking about? He's talking about... Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, right? The Gospel of Luke is the record of the incarnation of the Son of God. In John 1, uh, 14, it says, The Word made flesh who came and dwelt among us. Jesus, the man, came to begin something, to do and to teach. And the record of that beginning is, is the Gospels. And now we have this continuation of the Gospels, which is Acts. In the Gospels, he did it in his physical body, 
In the book of Acts, he is doing it through the bodies of the men and women of the church. Men and women of, of, the, of the assembly, right? But Acts, you see, is the incarnation that this is the strategy of Jesus. This is a strategy of God, that this incarnate life that, that is going to change the world. Jesus incarnate through us, dwelling in us in order to change the world, that we are, that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, the, it's the working of this incarnation, this indwelling of Jesus Christ, possessing people, people that are owned by him, that, 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 are, that are given their lives to him, and, and, and this idea of, of this incarnation manifesting through us in the world by what we do. He chose to make us a part of the story instead of just doing it all himself. So we see the strategy and, and, and the workings of the Holy Spirit, and he continues to give us this kind of historical breakdown of, of this ongoing strategy. Verse 3, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. You see, there's, there's proof here that Jesus is alive, a physical being. There is this resurrection, right? That he was resurrected from the dead, this idea of, of infallible proofs. Again and again, they physically saw Jesus over this time period. And many, many attested to this fact. And, and truly, this is kind of the foundation of our faith. Without this fact, without the reality of, of, of Jesus being resurrected, we don't have a faith. Right? 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen, which is Rob is going to talk about next week. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. And you're still in your sins. You're still underneath the law. You are still deserving of death and hell. Everything else is worthless. But there is something in store for the disciples. There's something that Jesus has planned. He tells them to, to, to not to depart from Jerusalem. And we have this idea of, of, of the, the promise of the Father. The, pr- the promise of the Father. Second part of, of verse 4. But, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord... Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So here are some characteristics of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is important. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was literally saying to the disciples, stick around. In Greek, this is the way it's translated. Stick around in Jerusalem. Don't leave the city until the promise of the Father has come upon you. Why? Because in reality, if they just started going out into the world without the gift of the Holy Spirit, without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they would really make a mess of things. Right? Possibly? Most likely? 
They're flawed human beings. They don't have the gift of the Holy Spirit yet. It's essential. This points to you cannot be an effective Christian if you're not operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can actually do damage outside of the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus mean? That this, this promise of the Father. It meant a few things. But first he indicates that the Holy Spirit's coming would not be this, this ritual. Right? It wouldn't be this image. It, it would actually be a reality. It would actually be a reality. John said he baptized with water. That is a, is a, is a ritual. Right? I'm not, I'm not saying it's bad, but, it, but it's this idea, it's, it's this showing to the world that, that you have been put to death and raised back to life, right? This idea of baptism. You are, you are alive in Christ. You are raised in Christ. John said he, he baptized with water. But the reality that, that, that will be the actual spirit himself coming to live in you. The promise that was made to Abraham 2,000 years ago. In Genesis 12, it's talking about a blessing to come. A blessing to come, which which is further clarified in uh, Galatians. Galatians 3, 13 through 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For his written curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. It's a fulfillment of a promise, a father's promise that was given to us, to Abraham specifically, over you know, 2,000 years prior to this. And we will receive the blessing, this gift of the Holy Spirit. It's, 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 it's an actual thing. It's not, just like, it's not just like this idea. It's not just an image. It's not just for show or a ritual. And even to the Gentiles, it will be given. So anyone who believes has the capability of receiving the Holy Spirit. And then then we have this image of John the Baptist. And Jesus said that he was the end of the prophets. We are told that John the, the Baptist, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. He experienced this in his own life, but, but he had to teach it. Right? He had to teach it, in, but, but it wasn't time yet. He couldn't explain it fully. Because it wasn't his blessing. It wasn't his gift to give. But as he baptized people in water, he taught them that there was a coming one who would immediately place them into the body of Christ, making them a part of his life. It means everyone. This means everyone who is accepting now of the reality of Jesus Christ begins on this level of receiving the Holy Spirit after this point. This isn't to say that others didn't have the Holy Spirit come upon them, but to actually have this indwelling of the Holy Spirit was now possible to everyone. Thus our Lord stresses the reality of this. The Holy Spirit is given now immediately when anyone believes in Jesus. There is no sign, no feeling, no emotional indication of it necessarily. It occurs as Jesus said it would when anyone would believe in him. It means by which the risen life of Jesus becomes available to us continuously and and constantly. 
But the reality is that it's not just this program that we're, we're going into, but it's, it's power. And the disciples said to him, therefore, when he had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And, and they wanted the program. They wanted the timeline. They wanted the map. God, okay, okay, we're, we're getting this Holy Spirit thing, but, but, but when are you going to restore Israel? Right? When, when, when are you going to restore your kingdom? When is this thing going down? But, but, but it's all in the Father's time. It's all in his authority. Our responsibility, our task at hand is to be a manifestation of power. But, the, but this program that is unfolding, that's, it's in the Father's wheelhouse. It's his responsibility. So we have to be content with exercising the power that is given to us. And the Father is going to work it all together in the end. And we're going to have a complete picture, but we only have a part of it now. And it's still unfolding. And Jesus responds and he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The times and the seasons are not for us to know, like I said before. But Jesus said, though I'm not going to let you know this, this, this map, this road map, I'm going to give you the power. But it's an amazing kind of power, and, and it's one that, that, that Rob started unpacking, right, in, in 1 Corinthians, one that we're seeking out on Sunday nights, but, but also in other services as well. We want to see a movement of the Holy Spirit. Is that so far-fetched to expect? Right? We're a God-fearing church, but we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit here, Calvary Chapel. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, so, so, so why is it so far-fetched to have that expectation to see them come to fruition, to actually see them firsthand? I don't know. What did, what did Rob say last week? You don't have to be supernaturally weird in order to be supernatural. <laughs> Something along those lines, right? There's always going to be the people that take it too far. But that's why we have to have a working knowledge of the word. To be able to discern. That's why there's the importance that we learned about last week of having an interpreter. Right? And oftentimes we, we have this expectation or, or, or just populace at large has this expectation of, of a sign of a church being endowed with the Holy Spirit as the gifting of tongues. But, but, but rather we saw the importance of prophecy last week over the gifting of tongues. How this idea of, of gifting of tongues was, was meant to edify oneself unto the Father. But this idea of prophecy is, is going to be edifying the church. And the building up. This idea of edification is building up. Right? These are the kind of things that we have to talk about. This isn't just a book of morality. This is a book of power. But not for our benefit, right? Because when Paul was writing to, to, the, to the church in Corinth, it was a disaster. Right? I mean, they, they, were, they were all working in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but, but, but there was no order. It was chaos. It was, it was all, let, 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 me, let me show you my gifting of tongues. And let me, you know, you know, he had to convict them. He had to rebuke them. 
Because sin was rampant. There has to be a knowledge. There has to be a knowledge. But the result of this power is going to be a witnessing to the world. It's not for us to have superpowers inside this building, right? That's not the point. Like, like there, there, there is this idea of, of worship coming from these spiritual gifts, and I understand that as writers edifying ourselves to the Lord. But oftentimes, especially for those that think they have the, or believe that they have the gift of tongues, oftentimes they're supposed to be silent. Right? Because it's just communication with you and the Lord. But the reality is, is that these workings of the Spirit, like we learned about last week, is for edification, for exhortation, and for comfort. Edification is a building up. Exhortation is a powering to go forward, and comfort is to come alongside someone who is in need. Remember the result of this power again is this witnessing to the world and, and we talked about this, this, this leaven last week. This leaven of our culture that, that, that we are supposed to be. And we looked at the book of Luke. Right? How Jesus sent out two by two to different cities. Miraculous things happened. The result of the Holy Spirit should be this indwelling wherever we are. And, and we can't help but talk about the things that he has done. But sometimes we don't talk, we just show. And we start serving. We start loving. We start coming alongside. Right? Rob kind of talked about almost like this cop-out. And, and, and I, want, I don't want to go full blast on that, but, but this idea of inviting people to church in order for them to hear about the good news instead of telling them about the good news right where you're at. Right? It's this idea that the word to go into the world to be this leaven in, in all aspects of society. And it, it came from this like Roman idea, Ecclesia. Right? To where two or three are gathered anywhere in the world, it didn't matter. They are now a representation of the kingdom. They now have the full weight and authority of the kingdom, no matter where they are. That's crazy. I love that. I love that. And here's the last thing that Luke stresses in the strategy of Jesus. This is the hope that we get to hold on to. The hope of Christ's return. Now when he's spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they look steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who is taking up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Can, can you imagine being on this mountain, hearing from Jesus, this guy that you have been following, you have seen him crucified, you have seen him resurrected, and, and, and you are talking with him, and he just, he just ascends up in the air. Like, I, I don't know what I would feel in that moment, 
but I would probably be pretty freaked out and do exactly what he said. (laughs) And I would get my butt in gear and head back to Jerusalem and wait for whatever he was going to give us. But they never saw him again. But we have a hope that he is going to return in the same manner. But again, it's not for us to know the time or the season. We're not supposed to know the plan. We're not supposed to see the program that's unfolding. But really, it was our advantage. This is the crazy thing. It was to our advantage that Jesus would go back to heaven. And John 16, 7 is, it is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus speaking. For if I do not go away, the comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It's by means of the Holy Spirit that Jesus makes his life available to each and every one of us so, so intimately, so personally, on, on such a deep level that, that he is indwelling us. But Jesus isn't gone, right? He's not in some far-off galaxy. He's not in some far-off place. He's here with us through the gifting of the Holy Spirit. He imparted the Holy Spirit to us, but it came as a result of him leaving the earth. And we can have all of him. He's not just confined to one body, but now the entirety of the earth has the ability to partake in the Holy Spirit. And we have something truly to be hopeful for. And it it keeps us going today. It's, 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 as I said, this story of Acts, this story of the assembly, this story of the church is still unfolding. We still have this hope that Jesus is going to come back. We know that he's going to come back. But they followed suit and then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. Right? And what did they do while they were waiting? It goes down the list of people that were there, right? What did they do while they were waiting? They prayed. It's a tool that we have, it's in our belt to use. But I'm sure they felt a little alone at that point. Probably similarly to, to the days that Jesus was in the grave, where their Savior was now dead. Their Savior had now ascended, but they didn't have the gift of the Holy Spirit yet. So it was probably a pretty lonely feeling. They had each other. Probably thinking, did you, did you see what I see? Did you see what I saw? Did you see him go up into, okay, cool. I'm glad we're on the same page and I'm, I'm not hallucinating, right? But they prayed together in supplication, in one accord. Prayer is an essential part of this life that we have and for the people of God. And it is part of the strategy by which Christ wanted for us to have direct communication with him. Prayer is essential. So, so we have in this introduction all the elements that make up the book of Acts. This is kind of 
everything, and it's just in the intro. And like I said, Dr. Luke, he was a scholar. I mean, he was well-versed. I mean, he had a great introduction. We have all the elements that, that make up the book of Acts. A risen Lord whose, whose life is made available through the coming of the Spirit and who will come again in power and great glory, but with whom we are not yet in instant communication by means of, of no, no, we are in communication by means of miracle prayer. And then, then we see from here, like the, the 12th disciple is chosen, right? Matthias. And soon after the day of Pentecost happens and, and Jesus' promise is fulfilled. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what is the first thing that they do? They spoke in tongues. They spoke in tongues. And guess what? All the people that were there in attendance, all the ones that could speak the different languages, they were the interpreters. So in that case, the gifting of tongues was a sign for the people. It was, it was a, this, this process of the Holy Spirit working, but, but to be a witness. Because what comes directly after this working, this, this, this miracle that happens? Did I lose? No, I'm still there. What happens directly after this outpouring of the Holy Spirit by, by, by the disciples speaking in tongues? It gave Peter a platform to witness. The point of these signs is to bring people to Jesus and, and, and over 3,000 people gave their lives that day. And that was, that was the assembly of people. And, and from there, they're, they're sent out into the ends of the earth and we see throughout the remainder of Acts this, this working of the Holy Spirit. And then, and then the, the, the salvation of, of Paul. Who doesn't even classify himself as an apostle. But all things considered, I mean, he's, he's, he's a pillar of our faith, right? Of the utmost importance because he's writing to the churches at large. And this is where we see a large majority of the remainder of the New Testament. The story of Acts, the story of Jesus actively working is still unfolding to this day. The church is here now. The same church that was then is, is here now. You, in fact, are the ecclesia. You are the church. You are this assembly. And again, we have all been ordained to go out into the world and, and change this world with this strategy that Jesus had for us to be indwelled with the Holy Spirit and to work on his behalf. To be witnesses. Opinions and, and, and thoughts, those things aren't going to start revival. Right? A genuine moving of the Holy Spirit is going to start a revival. Without a moving of the Holy Spirit, there cannot be revival. And that's what, that's what we're really after, right? We want America to wake up. That's where we're placed in this season, in this time, in Newbury Park, California, right? We, we want with, with Thousand Oaks, we want Newbury Park to just wake up. And then, and then California. And then America, like, like we want this revival to happen. But we can't do that with our own might and our own strength. It has to be a working of the Holy Spirit. But here's the hurdle that we faced 
again, we live in this democratic republic based on Judeo-Christian values. So we, we are combating this cultural Christianity. I think it would be pretty hard to find someone that hasn't heard the good news. To go somewhere that they haven't maybe visited a church or heard about Christ. Right? It's, it's, it's a part of our DNA as Americans. But what they haven't seen is a moving of the Holy Spirit. It actually being lived out. It doesn't need to be over the top workings of the Spirit, right? Just, just the church giving of its time and investing in people. Being moved by the Holy Spirit. Being moved by the Holy Spirit. It's like we have this gift that is so precious, that is so often overlooked. And the power in which it holds is just, when, when you see it, I mean, it, it's truly, truly amazing. I brought up the, the night of borderline, and I'm not trying to, to get you emotionally attached, but, but I brought up the night of borderline because I saw something that night. And it was this clash of, of like the Holy Spirit moving here and just, just on fire and I was just ready to go and then it's just we're all hit. I, Kelly and I didn't even go to sleep last that night. We, we went directly down there and I don't need to get into my involvement down there but there was people that I knew down there. We went down there to pray but really we felt useless and what was going on and in and, and, and the gravity of the situation right and then and then we're called by rob at like three in the morning to come bring coffee down we're like we're on it we're there whatever you need i want to encourage you guys in in the pastor in which we're under and why i admire him so much being down at the teen center that night and seeing the Holy Spirit work through that man. Both as the mayor pro temp at that time, speaking and, and praying over, over people, city officials, and, and talking to the press, but then going into to that room, into that gymnasium, and just, just comforting people and praying with people. It was so, I can't even explain it. But the ability that he had, because he wasn't afraid to step out. He wasn't afraid to step out of his comfort zone behind this pulpit and to go into the arena in which he was called. Into the one area that he was called and it gave him the ability to witness through the Holy Spirit, in in a place in which he would not have the opportunity to do otherwise. We all have the capability of reaching those opportunities. If we're willing to be obedient to the Holy Spirit in the way in which he's leading us. And I'm excited where Rob is leading us. But really the Holy Spirit, the Lord is leading us. Amen. Jesus is the head of the church. For some of you guys, it might be uncharted territory. 
as we're going into the giftings of the Holy Spirit and, and just seeking what the Lord has. Don't be afraid. We're God-fearing and, and our pursuit is to rightfully divide the word and to hold ourselves accountable. Not just Rob, but the entirety of the leadership here. We want to see revival. We want to see the Holy Spirit move. We want to see it by the book. Comfort is meant for the afterlife. Not now. Some of us are blessed to to obtain that comfort in this life. But we all know this life is hard. Why not just do a full send and go all out for Jesus and see what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through us? And so this idea of the responsibility of the church, I I wanted to leave you with a final thought as I ask the worship team to come back up. You guys know what Monday is? Martin Luther King Jr. Day? culture is politically charged right now. But one man who fought for the rights of those who didn't have them was grounded in the Lord and had an understanding of the responsibility of the church. If you guys could put the quote up. The church must be reminded that it is not the master or the servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. It must be the guide and the critic of the state, and it's never, never its tool. If the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, it will become an irrelevant social club without moral or spiritual authority. He got it. He might not have been right on everything, but, but he got the church's responsibility in our society. Morality comes from the truth in which we're preaching, right? Grounded in the word. This is where we base our faith. This is where we go into the world knowing that we have this anchor in the word, anchor in the knowledge of the Lord, this working knowledge that we are ever pursuing, right? It's our responsibility to be pursuant in our knowledge of the word, to be effective in our communities, it doesn't matter how great of a Christian we are inside of these walls. Right? The importance of our life is that we get to be used of the Father. That we get to be witnesses to the Father. That we get to go into all nations and make disciples of all them, men. We've got to push our boundaries. We've got we to get outside of our comfort zone. And I truly think that's where the Lord is leading us in this season, to get out of our comfort zone, to be expectant, to be waiting with prayerful anticipation.